Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. Glad that we can be here together. If you are visiting with us, thank you for taking the time to uh, visit with us. If you're passing through town or if you're uh, visiting from the community, we are happy that you are here, happy that you decided this morning to wake up and worship God. There's no better way you could start your day, no better way you could start your week than to worship God, and we are thankful again that you're here with us. Uh, This may have been said earlier. I don't remember if David said this or not, but if you're visiting with us, please take a moment to fill out one of those blue cards on the back of the pew in front of you so we can have a record of your attendance and know if we can reach out to you and uh, help you in any way. Of course, members, uh, you do that as well with the white cards and see if we can help you uh, in any any way as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A little bit later, God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the light of God, he created the beautiful butterflies that float around and mesmerize us with their beauty and their grace. He also created the gracious gazelle to run across the open land. God created the mighty lion, and he created the lowly ant. God created in that light the speedy cheetah and the steady tortoise. And in the pinnacle of his creation, he created man and woman in his image. And we read about over in Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn there, that there was something different about man and woman. There was something different about this part of his creation. It was not just the pinnacle of his creation because man could be the apex predator in the ecosystem. No, it was something different about man that made man the pinnacle of God's creation. In Genesis chapter 1, it starts by saying in verse 27, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God, in the beginning of time, made everything. And you know at the end of chapter 1 that he looks at everything that he had made, and he says, Behold, it is good. It even says it is very good. God creates everything that he does. And it doesn't take man very long to to start to mess things up, right? Right? Parents, can you remember when you would go into your child's room and either help them or maybe not help them very much that you'd just have to do it and you'd clean up their room or maybe they had been in the living room playing and you clean up the uh, the living room or maybe you have a designated area in your house where you know you, you send the kids so that only one room gets messed up. But you, you take a time from, from time to time to, to clean that room up. How long does it take for that room that is everything's where it's supposed to be Everything's set up just the way that it's supposed to be. How long does it take your children to mess that up? To, to move things from where you thought they ought to be and, and to, to play with them and to use them and to not put them back where they're supposed to be. Maybe I'm just describing a common day in my house. I'm not sure. But something like that happened shortly after the days of creation. Man and woman, Adam and Eve, they, they sinned. And they sinned certainly in the garden, but it wasn't long after that sin that in Genesis chapter 6 we see that every thought of man was continually evil. It did not take mankind long to mess up the beauty, the perfection, everything that God said, behold, it is good, it is very good. And certainly on our topic today about the ethics and civics of sexuality, that is true in Genesis chapter 1, we read that not only is man the, the, the pinnacle of God's creation because he's created in his image, man and woman are created in the image of God, uh, but we also see that there's purpose given there. 
Uh, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and rule over it. There's, there's a purpose, there's a meaning to life that God has given to mankind. And a part of that is procreation. And we want to think about this morning, when we think about the, the ethics and civics of morality, of, of sexuality, excuse me, what I want us to consider is that every command, every command in the Old Testament Every command in the New Testament comes down to what we could call ethics and civics. And maybe you'd use a different word, maybe you use morals or something along those lines. But I would say in the Bible, from the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 to the newest commandment of Jesus in John chapter 13 and verse 34, when he tells us to apostles, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, so you also ought to love one another. From the, the first commandments in Exodus chapter 20, To the newest commandment, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Everything comes down to every commandment. Everything God tells us, you should do this, you should not do that, comes down to ethics and civics. How do your morals affect your relationships? You're probably aware of this and and certainly could read it and figure it out pretty quickly yourself. But in Exodus chapter 20, those 10 commandments, basically five of them have to do with how you interact with people and five of them have to do with how you interact with with God. And we read about in Matthew chapter uh, 22, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 22, this was read to us earlier, but I want us to take the time to read it again. Matthew 22 verses 25, uh, excuse me, 35 through 40. Notice what he says. Jesus here is being tested, of course, and it says, and one of them, one of these Pharisees, one of these religious leaders, uh, a scholar of the law, so somebody who really knew the old law, There's 600, 613 or so commandments in the old law. This guy would have known all of them back and forth. He could have quoted scripture as much as he wanted to, okay? Uh, One of them, a scholar of the law, asked Jesus a question, testing him. And he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he's thinking he's going to trick him because... Because this guy, what's going to happen is this guy says, well, if he says this one, well, I can bring up this one over here. Well, what about this one? He's going to try and, and contradict what Jesus says and show him to be foolish in some form or fashion. What's the greatest? Well, that's, that's hard to choose, right? There's 600 plus commandments. What's the greatest? No matter what he says, I can trap him. Is likely what this scholar, what this lawyer is thinking. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, all of your soul. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then notice to these words of Jesus, which is important for our conversation today in verse 40. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Jesus says, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first most important commandment and the second most important commandment. And he says, all of the other commandments... And he says the, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, and I think we can make application to any commandment that we, we would read in the New Testament. All commandments of God come down to two things. Love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, every commandment comes down to how our morals, how our beliefs affect and inter- our interactions with other people. Well, what about the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about sexuality? Um, there's too much to say about sexuality that we don't have time to cover this morning. 
uh, tonight. If you'll come back tonight, we're going to talk about it more tonight and, and maybe even more specifically tonight about some of the things the Bible has to say about it. But I want you to, to understand a few things. Sex in the context of marriage is a good thing. How do I know that? Because God said it. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, that is after Jesus or God tells his creation to be fruitful and multiply, after he creates marriage in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, Adam and Eve are described as husband and wife. So sex within the context of marriage, how God created it, is not only a good thing, it's a very good thing. And we need to be aware of that and even celebrate that in the ways that we can. It should be held in honor among all. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. It is a divine union marriage is that no one should seek to separate. Jesus said that in Mark chapter 10 and verse 9. Nor should we try to place sex outside of the union where it belongs. As I said, sexuality is too broad of a topic for us to cover everything or even a small portion of all of the details that all of the things that are going on in the world. Back up just a minute. It did not take mankind long to mess up the perfect creation that God made. And in the same way that they messed up the relationship between parents and children, the same way that Cain and Abel messed up the relationship between brothers, it did not take mankind long to mess up the divine sacred relationship between husband and wife and the intimacy of sex that's supposed to be there that God created. And we look around today and we certainly see thousands upon thousands of years later that God's intent and purpose for what he created has been ruined by mankind. Sex in the context of marriage is a good thing that should be held in honor, that we should not separate nor try to take outside of where it belongs. It's too broad to talk about everything, but let me make a summarizing statement that if you want me to point you to specific scriptures on at some point, I will be more than happy to. It will not be very difficult to do. Sexuality. Sex. Outside of marriage, including adultery, which is sex with someone who's not your spouse, fornication, sex before you're married, homosexuality, sex with someone of the same gender that you are, lust, Yes, even lust or any other form apart from spouses are all violations of God's intent, his purpose, and the commands in relation to any act of sexuality that we read about in the Bible. That is not a popular statement to make, is it? If we go out into the world today and that's what we lead with, we won't get a lot of people interested in what we have to say. I don't know that it's what we lead with, But I do need you to understand, God wants you to understand, and again, scriptures tell us clearly that what we say is, what we just said is true. There is a intent, there is a purpose, there is a place for what God has created, and it is in that marriage union. In the Old Testament, we read about many, many ordinances about specific sexual acts, some of which would be foreign even to a 21st century uh, community and culture. Some of the things that the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, you would say, they had to talk about that? There's no way. That doesn't make any sense. Who would even think about doing such a thing? But God addresses those things because then and now people think about things that we would think are uncivilized, unrighteous, certainly, and even unthinkable. The Old Testament talks about many of those things. And, and maybe, maybe even more poignantly, the Old Testament is full of 
example after example after example of individuals or groups of people committing sexual sins of any number of varieties. And in every single time, you know what happens? Pain, difficulty, and punishment. Personal pain, family pain, societal pain, difficulty that exists and and, and occurs because of this type of sin. In the New Testament, uh, sexual immorality is the, is the broad term that's used to describe, again, any number of things that are against or in opposition to God's intent and purpose and his specific commandments in regard to sexuality. But here's the, here's the thing that I want to spend the most time on. And I don't really have that much more to say about it this morning. I hope you'll come back tonight and we'll have some more information in a little bit about some more details and opportunities for us to talk about this more. But what I really want us to think about this morning is, why is it sinful? Why, why is doing something outside or beyond or not in the scope of what God has described, why is that sinful? And I think we can simply take it back to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. If you break those commandments, all of the other commandments have to do with those. Anything that God has said, this is good, this is right, this is what you ought to do, or this is not good, this is unrighteous, this is not what you should do. They are tied and related to those two commandments. So when we think about the ethics and the civics, how our morals affect our interactions with people, what about sexuality? What about that part of our lives? Simply, and maybe too simply for you, but this is the way I have to understand it. Why does it matter? Why is it sinful? And again, it's easier for me to preach this here because I'm in a church building with believing people. And most of you, probably not all of you, but most of you are going to agree with what I'm saying this morning. If I walk across the street to some other public gathering that's not church-related, not Christian-related, and I say this, it will not be an, an acceptable statement to be made. Why is it sinful? Why is sex outside the context of what God has wanted us to do, told us to do? Why is it sinful? First of all, because it matters how we treat people. It matters how we treat people. God has created marriage for that intimacy. And if it's outside of that, you may say, well, there's no connections. It's it's just the physical act. there's There's no emotions. There's nothing that goes along with it. And and maybe, maybe that's true. I, I, find a hard t- I have a hard time believing that's possible. That there's no emotional connection with that type of intimacy that God created for the closest relationship that men and women can have on the face of the earth. I find that difficult. I, I would say that, that even, if, even if someone would think that, they're probably wrong. Maybe for them it didn't mean anything, but for the other person it meant something. But more than likely, even at some point down the line, there would be some sort of emotional distress caused by that type of sinful behavior, that type of sinful act. But maybe, maybe you could say, but I'm not hurting anyone. What I'm doing what I'm doing with my sexuality, and this would certainly be a, an argument that, that some people would make today when we think about uh, gender identity and, and those types of things. I'm not hurting anyone. All I'm doing is I'm, I'm doing this for me. This is what I want. This is what I think is right. This is, this is how I feel. Let me stop there and say, I will never, 
doubt or dismiss someone's feelings. It is quite true, more than likely, that someone may feel that way. Someone may have those emotions. Someone may have those thoughts that are in their mind. And they may legitimately have come to those in in, in ways that they think are, are rational and true and good. It would be foolish for us to dismiss someone's thoughts, opinions, or emotions about such things. But as a Christian, as a follower of God, not only does it matter how I treat people, it matters how I treat God. Doesn't it? If God is God, it matters how I treat God and how I will listen to him or choose not to listen to him. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read just one verse in Isaiah chapter 45. Write it down or turn there with me. But, but Isaiah speaks to this, not on this topic specifically. And this is not just true for this topic. But in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 9, notice what he says. Jeremiah talks about this as well, this, this same uh, picture uh, that he has here. But in Isaiah 45 and verse 9, he says, Woe to the one who contends with his maker. Woe to the one who argues with God. He goes on to say, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the one or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. Listen, this again is is not, it's, for some people this is not enough. But why is it sinful to do something beyond or different or short of what God has asked us or told us is right? Because he's God. He is the maker. He's the potter. I'm the clay. And and Isaiah says, through inspiration, woe to the one who contends with his maker. Be careful. Be aware of what you're doing. Now, not everybody believes in God, and, and not believing in God makes this a lot easier. But of course, not believing in God leads to a lot of difficulties. And you're missing out on the good news and the blessings that come along with being a follower of God. Woe to the one who contends with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. You have no power, God. You have no authority here. Not in my life. Well, listen, that's a decision that God has allowed you to make. That's a decision that God has allowed you to make, but it is not without consequences. We must realize that that God has the authority. If he is God, and if you believe in him, then he has the authority, and he has spoken. And we will be foolish not to listen. Turn over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Let's listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Luke 9, 23 through 26. And Jesus was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his or forfeits his himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Here's another point. Uh, for those of us who are Christians who struggle with this, and there are those of us who may struggle with it personally, or we may struggle with it as an ideal. Why is it wrong? Why is it sinful? You're not hurting anyone. You can do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do, and we're all okay. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says if you want to follow him, you've got to deny yourself. And when we think about sexuality, we think about sexual sins, 
we as Christians, not just in our fellowship, but generally across Christianity, we have a problem in that sometimes we only address sins that are socially unacceptable and we don't address sins that are biblically unacceptable. You see, any sin outside of what God has prescribed or described or given to us in Scripture when we think about sexuality, any of those sins is sinful. Not just homosexuality, not just issues of transgenderism, not just issues of gender identity or dysphoria or or, or whatever else it may be, but adultery, fornication, lust. All of these things are things that we need to make sure that we address and that we apply the lessons learned in the Scripture to ourselves. And what does Jesus say? If anyone wishes to follow after me, he must deny himself. There is no doubt there are people that live in this world who struggle with different desires. Some people struggle with, hey, that person's wearing a nice watch. I sure would like to have that watch. And they take it from them. Some people struggle with, hey, you know, I'm not really that good at this job, but I, I really need this money. Let's see how I can skew the numbers to make sure that I keep my job or that I get a raise. Lying. Some people struggle with, hey, I know I'm married, but this person over here, they're kind of attractive to me. Let's see what we can do. Some people struggle with, hey, I'm attracted to people of the same sex. All of these things, all of these desires, Jesus says, if you're going to follow after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me every day. So Christians, let's learn a lesson here. Don't be so narrow-minded that the only sins that you address are the ones that you find are socially unacceptable or personally unacceptable. Recognize that Jesus calls us to deny ourselves in all areas of sinful activity and to follow after him every day. And the reason he does this, in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, uh, Paul tells those on, the, uh, on Mars Hill in, in Athens, he says, God has overlooked the times of ignorance, but now is declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world by the man that he has appointed, Jesus, whom he proved to them through the resurrection. One day, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God and we need to be prepared to recognize that the sin that is in our life needs to be forgiven and that there is only one hope for the forgiveness of sins and that is Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, verses 9 and 10 describe uh, any number of sins. Sexual sin is included there, but it is not by any means the only sin that is included. Some of the what we would consider, certainly what society would consider, the more mundane sins are also listed in those verses. And he says to those Christians in Corinth, and such were some of you. And we could say today, I could say to you today, I could list sexual sins. I could list sins of theft. I could list sins of lying. I could list any number of those sins, any sins we read about in the Bible. And I could honestly, and you would have to accept it because it's the truth. I could honestly say, and such were some of you. We could probably say, and such were all of us. But we were washed but we were sanctified, but we were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, the only hope for all sinners is Jesus. Whatever sin that might be, 
And we need to recognize that, that all sin comes down to how do our morals, how do the things that we believe in the Bible, how do they affect the way that I treat God and the way that I treat you and that I treat everyone else in this world. And God is going to hold us accountable to those things. One day, you and I will stand before the judgment seat of God and it won't be, hey, you know, I never struggled with homosexuality. I'm going to heaven. That won't be why I go to heaven. It won't be, hey, I, I never stole a thing. That's why, I won't go to, that's why I get to go to heaven. That will not be why you get to go to heaven. It won't be, I was at church every Sunday morning, Sunday night. I went to Bible class. Wednesday nights, I was at every youth rally. I went to the gospel meetings. I was at area-wide singings. That will not be why you get to go to heaven. You see, if I personify you with me, I would say, you see, you struggle with sin because I struggle with sin. And it will not be because I'm able to overcome temptation that I get to go to heaven or that my sin and my struggle in sin is different than your struggle in sin. Whatever the struggle is, Whatever the sin is, let's first of all recognize sin is real. God has a standard. He has a way he wants us and expects us as his followers at the very least to live. And he's holding all people accountable because his existence is clearly seen. People can come to know God if they have a desire to come to know God. Sin is real. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The book of Romans tells us those things. And when I stand before the judgment seat of God, it won't be that my sin was less worse than your sin. That I get to go to heaven. Everyone who stands before the judgment seat of God will deserve to go to hell. And only those of us who have Jesus step up beside us as our advocate before the Father and say, yes, Andy Brewster is a sinner. And he deserves to go to hell. But he placed his faith and his trust in me. And because of that, my, my blood has washed his sins away. And Father, I ask you to invite him into your kingdom for all eternity. And those are the only two options. This morning, are you in Christ? Have you, do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you called upon the name of Christ? Scripture tells us that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God, if you will confess Him, not only your belief in Him, but you will confess Him as your Lord, that He's in charge of your life, and you're going to strive to do your very best, and you will not do it perfectly. Strive to do your very best to follow Him, denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following after Him every day. If you will believe in the resurrection of Jesus, confess Him as your Lord, and be baptized into Christ, then all of your sins will be washed away, and it won't be any great thing that you've done that will get you into eternity with God in His kingdom. It will be the great thing that He has done, and that's whatever your sin is. This morning, if you struggle with sin, you are not alone. If this is the first time you've been in a church building in who knows how long, God is happy you are here and so are we. If you want to know more about having a relationship with God, then we want to help you in whatever ways we can. If you're a Christian this morning and you're struggling with whatever sin it might be, please know that your family at Jefferson Avenue is here not to judge you, 
Because if I judge you, then you can judge me and we're all guilty and it doesn't really matter. We're all on equal footing with God. But we're here to help you. And if you're brave enough, in a moment, Andy's going to come sing a song. We're going to stand for that song. And if you want to come forward and talk to me and let us know what's going on, then we'll, we'll, we'll start the process of helping you right now. We'll pray for you and then we'll strive to do whatever we can every day to help you on your journey towards heaven. If you're not a Christian and you want to know more about becoming a Christian, if you're ready to put Christ on in baptism, there's no better thing that we could do to end a service than that. If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.